This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Bohinen! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Skoll and we've got another bonus episode for you here today in memory of Terry Venables. I mean, the ultimate kind of England manager of the 90s really. Obviously, very sadly passed away at the back end of last year and we just felt we had to simply do a special episode on Terry Venables. This full episode is available on the Quickly Kevin Fan Club. You know how to sign up and all that. Features Tom Crane. Before we drop into that, just a reminder, there's one Quickly Kevin show this year. It's on Thursday, the 16th of May, 2024, at the London Palladium. And we've got a big announcement about it very soon. If you want to get your tickets for what will be a very special and memorable night, just Google Quickly Kevin London Palladium. You'll find all the details there. Right, here it comes. Tom Crane, the Terry Venable special. You'll hear about 20 minutes or so of it. If you want the full episode, you can, of course, sign up to the Quickly Kevin fan club, which is available on anotherslice.com forward slash Quickly Kevin and also on your Apple podcast app. Here it comes. Enjoy. Hey, guys, how are you? Good one. We've just started recording, and then from nowhere you've plucked a banana. It's my breakfast banana. Is that unprofessional? <laughs> but it's potassium. It's, in my mind, it's giving me the energy to perform to the best standard that I can. So, if anything, you should be impressed I by mean, it. It's going to sound disgusting on mic if you're chewing a banana. I will. Look, let's, give, let's give it a little test. Here we go. Look, I'm, I'm going to lean away. Watch this. Little chump. I'm speaking distant from the mic. Quick, true. It's just harder than I thought. With it. And. And swallow, and we're back to broadcasting. 
May I just remind you, this is a tribute episode to Terry Venables. Oh, yes. Maybe nip that out in the edit. <laughs> Would you turn up to a funeral with a banana? But he did love a banana, Terry. That's the thing about Terry. He did love a banana. So, Well, we've got plenty of Terry Venables facts coming right up. Maybe he loves a banana is among them. You'll have to listen and find out. So, yes... This is a tribute episode to Terence Frederick Venables, born the 6th of January 1943 to the 25th of November 2023. And we just wanted to, I don't know, talk about Terry Venables and the impact he had on 90s football. And I mean, it's an excuse as well to talk about Euro 96 and what could have been and just his impact on the game. We were sat down thinking about subscriber episodes and with the passing of Terry Venables, it feels like a real moment in time and a perfect point to kind of reflect on everything he did for England and what he means and his colourful career. I wanted to begin by kind of a bit of an open question, but isn't it weird that there are no England managers alive from before Hoddle? Do we feel really old? I feel so old with that knowledge. When the news happened, my girlfriend was the one that told me, she said, oh, who's Terry Venables, he's passed away. And I was like, oh, that's really sad. And then my reflex, which doesn't reflect when I'm glad Hoddle was, oh, that's all of the England managers of the 90s are dead. That's so <laughs> sad. And then because she'd recently watched the Beckham documentary, she went, well, how about that horrible one who did Beckham Dirty? And I went, oh, yeah, of course, Hoddle. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's still alive. Sorry, Glenn. <laughs> but it was a real marker where you go, oh, God, the sort of sands of time are rapidly slipping through our fingers now. And I don't know about you guys, but... Obviously, Crane, you know, you've been a guest on the show over the years, so you're not of us aware. But, Chris, this is sort of more of a question to you. I don't feel like we've covered Venables enough no. on this show, considering how big a role he played, I mean, especially during Euro 96. But as we were sort of watching the clips and researching this episode, I thought, oh, we've never talked about that. Or we've never drilled into that from his perspective, like talking about Venables. So I was quite excited to sort of run through his career and his influence, in particular, Although it's sort of slightly outside of the nineties, the Barcelona era. Oh man. I'd love to watch mm. a feature length doc about his time at Barcelona because I wasn't fully aware of quite quite how highly regarded and quite the impact that he had at that club and sort of changed their fortunes at a time when they were they were really in a bad place. Absolutely. It's mad. Doing a little bit of research for this episode and also reading Terry Venable's obituary. You're right, what he achieved at that period of Barcelona. I think he was only there shy of three years, but he won La Liga for the first time in 11 years in his first season at Barcelona and got them to the final of the European Cup, which they lost on penalties, which would have been the first time Barcelona had ever won the European Cup. And I shared with you um, an amazing clip I I think this is from his first season at Barcelona that the BBC had put on their Instagram. You see Terry Venables coaching the Barcelona players. And I don't know what I expected from the management style of Terry Venables, but I always thought he was kind of laid back and maybe in that Brian Clough mould where the coaches do the training. But when you watch this clip of Terry Venables coaching, he's coaching defenders and he's telling them exactly how to mark a man. It's such a granular level of management. And also what's brilliant about it, it's obviously all going through a translator. He's, he's doing this in, the, like, I'd actually say he's not even made any attempt to make his voice less cockney. If anything, <laughs> he's going, right, you stand there, you stand there, you go watch that man. Don't worry about what that man's doing. And then the translator's pedaling so fast to keep up and translate everything into Spanish. And at the end, like, he's, he's saying everything like, at a rapid pace. The translator's trying to catch up and he goes, oh, shut up, or something like that. He just tells the translator to give up the translation. No, it's even better than that. He says, I'll stop rabbiting on. <laughs> <laughs> 
what a phrase that translates so easy into Spanish for the translator as well. <laughs> rapiting on. Rapiting, Graham. Get on with Perfect. it, he says. <laughs> his style of management, as you say, it was clearly had an impact on the players there because after his death, Guardiola has talked about it and the impact he had on him when he was a young player in that same Barcelona team. So Guardiola was a youth player at, uh, at Barcelona then, sort of starting to break in very early. And he just said he just learned so much about management from that. And it had such an impact on him as a player. And it completely changed the club. As you say, they'd gone through like a decade of basically nothing. And then suddenly in this two-year tenure, he won the league, narrowly lost in the final of the European Cup. It's just incredible for Guardiola, who to my mind is probably arguably the best manager ever, to say that this guy had a real impact on the way he views management. It shows you how regarded he is. There's an amazing picture that was doing the rounds on social media this week. I don't know if you saw it, of literally a sort of 12 or 13-year-old Pep Guardiola looking up at Terry Venables during one of the... I don't know whether they've just won yeah. a trophy or won the league and there's a player who's got another player on his um, shoulders and they're celebrating. And it's like a young Pep and it's this incredible picture. And I, and I was like, is that real? Does someone fake that? Because if it is real, there's almost yeah. a sort of like literal passing of the baton oh my. of legacy. That picture, is that real? I don't know. I couldn't tell because the, the version I'd seen had been sort of treated in an artistic way. No, I think that is legit. No, can it? That's mad. So the picture is, we'll pop this on our Instagram when we announce this episode, but it's Guardiola. Like, Venables is on the shoulders of two men. They look like players, to be fair. And Guardiola's just behind them, looking up, clapping. A young Guardiola, probably no more than 15 or so. That's an incredible picture. I think it is real. It looks a bit like, who's that guy who does those montages of different celebrities? <laughs> at least uh, one guy. <laughs> what, like, around no, Steve, what's his name? No, Steve. Cold War Steve. Cold War Steve. It looks a little bit like Cold War Steve sort of put it together as some kind of emotional. Or it looks like a sort of like <laughs> AI picture generator where someone sort of like has described what they want to see. And then it's just it's just generating that. <laughs> but no, but it obviously is true because it, as Pep has talked about, the impact of the young player he had on him. But as you say, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Really. You're right. Because he gets them to the European Cup final in 1986 and they win it six years later. But this is comes off the back of a, a long period of absolutely nothing. So he really did turn that club around. One thing I read about his time at Barcelona... I don't think I really clocked this, but that's why obviously Gary Lineker's there and that's why Mark Hughes is there. But what I was reading about his in his time there, that Gary Lineker was a huge success at Barcelona, but Mark Hughes wasn't. Yes. Well, so much he was loaned to Bayern, wasn't he? I, I think it kind of it just didn't work at all for him at Barcelona. It's hard to know why that is. Maybe it's his style doesn't quite suit Spanish football. He's quite sort of tough, wasn't he? Sort of backing into players, all that sort of vibe. Not a very big volley-based game, La Liga. Yeah. <laughs> You also, um, I don't want to cast aspersions on sort of Mark Hughes' personality. If you're looking at two men in terms of how they might embrace a foreign culture and the language <laughs> and all of those things, you can see Lineker, who I believe is fluent in Spanish, embedding himself there in a way that perhaps Mark Hughes didn't quite take like a duck to water in, in the same way. Slightly more old-fashioned yeah. in his views, I, I would imagine Mark Hughes might have been. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. 
Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Also, you look at clips from that Barcelona team. This is not an important point, but it's one that I clocked. The shorts are so small. (laughs) They're so tiny. That would be an issue for me if I was signing for a club and they were that tiny. Everyone's shorts are tiny. I know that was the way of the game then, but there's something particular about that Barcelona team where it's essentially sort of undercrackers. That's what you're wearing. They're just, they're, they're pants. What is your issue, Crane, that you're in danger of exposing yourself or you have particularly skinny thighs? <laughs> well, well, yes, it would restrict movement would be my first concern. I put on a bit of weight and I play football on a Tuesday. And last year I had a pair of jogging bottoms which were too tight and it did affect my game. <laughs> they sort of uh, restricted my ability to volley, to sort of cross. There was a detrimental impact. Admittedly, my body was the problem. My body had grown and the trousers had remained the same size. But I do think the shorts were too small. And also it's undignified, I think. When you took them off and you replaced them with a sort of loose pair of shorts, did you find yourself then volleying like 50 times a game? I did. Well, I actually I replaced them with a sarong, which is giving me complete, <laughs> complete movement. <laughs> no, no, genuinely, it did make a difference. It did make a difference. So if, if, if Terry is listening from up on high, that's the only thing. <laughs> if you are about to kickstart sort of heaven FC... Get loose shorts. Should we talk about it? I find it so weird to think about big manager characters in the 90s as players. It's a really difficult thing to kind of wrap your head around. Like Bobby Robson had a favorite, he actually played for England, didn't he? Graham Taylor yeah. didn't have any kind of, I think he played for Grimsby and Lincoln, never played for England. Terry Venables actually did play for England. Twice, wasn't it? Yeah. Twice. Yeah. When he made his debut for Chelsea, he was seen, well, the papers described him as the new Duncan Edwards. There was a lot, a lot of kind of hype about the young Terry Venables. Another interesting thing about him, he was obviously clever from a quite an early age. He did his coaching badges at the age of 24. Yeah, incredible that, isn't and it? And he got a 95% correct mark, like 95% 24. That's as a player who was thriving and in the first 11 for top teams. Not someone who's going, oh, God, I'm on the fringes. This could go wrong. I need a backup. This is someone going, okay, already at 24, I'm going to be a manager. I need to learn. I need to do exactly what's required. I think that's what I find amazing. He was a first teamer. You know, he was a top pro and still doing his coaching badges. There's some amazing stuff as well, Chris, about him when he first signed with Chelsea, which I found out, which is that... When he first started, he he's had always had this love of singing. Yes. Have you read about this? He was like a huge fan of singing and Frank Sinatra and all this sort of stuff. Okay, so he signed for Chelsea when he's fifteen as an apprentice, and then he sort of kept his singing going so much so that a couple of years later, the manager Tommy Doherty gave him an ultimatum because he just won a talent <laughs> contest at Butlins and was invited back for September. And Doherty had to say, no, you've got to make a choice because you're going to be in the team. So he basically had to make a choice between becoming a red coat <laughs> or actually pursuing his job properly with Chelsea, which I love the idea that would happen now. Let's say Garnacho, a man United, who's just coming through. He's got this second dream that he really wants to be a red coat. Ten hogs taken to one side and go, no, you need to decide. But it's mad that he had this, that's the sort of character he was. He had this second love and it really mattered. And so much so, so he was auditioning at Butlins when he was still signed to Chelsea. It's like crazy. Do you know one thing I read? Both his parents were club singers. He was basically really? bred. Yeah, he was genetically bred to be a club singer. <laughs> 
<laughs> I didn't realise. He obviously had some talent as a singer. But I think what sullies it in my mind is the knowledge that Ron Atkinson also had a... He tried to be a singer. Glenn Hoddle as well. They're footballers first trying to be singers. And I threw Terry Venables in with them. Obviously, Terry Venables had far greater talent. I'm not even being ironic or taking the piss and I say that. He obviously, like you say, that competition, he was objectively a good singer. And he also, he released two singles as well later on. One about England, another one like a crooning ballad, I think. And they both got into the charts like 24 or 36 or something like that. So he did have a bit of a singing career later. I mean, the fact he was known helped, I'm sure. But yeah, it was something he pursued properly. So here's a question. If Venables, in a sliding doors moment, goes to that audition, wins, gets a job as a sort of, I don't know, lead Sinatra crooner at Butlins, gives up, forgoes his footballing career, how does that change the landscape? Who is England manager at Euro 96 and do we win the tournament? Or is there another kind of Graham Taylor style episode? Didn't we get a really good email from someone who had screenshotted teletext of the odds for the England manager after Taylor? Oh, yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. And Venables, I'm sure, wasn't even on the list. If he was, he was very low down. So who were the odds on favourites? I think, wasn't it someone like Steve Koppel? It was Steve Koppel. It was Steve Koppel was the favourite. Which, when you sort of do the math at the time, you kind of young English manager, in the same way that sort of 12 months ago, Graham Potter might have been a front runner. But now you look at it and go, well, that's probably never going to happen, is it? It's fun to think of those sliding doors moments because one of the things I read about Terry Venables was that he was one of the front runners to replace Bobby Robson instead of Graham Taylor. And you think then how different that might have been. He would have been in, in charge for Euro 92. He might well have taken England to USA 94. Would he even still be there at Euro 96? There's another way of looking at it, which is we don't see a sliding door moment, Michael, where he continues the parallel career as a Frank Sinatra impersonator. We get to year 96 and he's dressed in the full Frank Sinatra garb on the sidelines, also managing the England football team. <laughs> <laughs> he does the halftime song. He sings the anthem. Bring it all together. Mesh it all together. There's loads of other mad stuff he did to make money early on as a player. Have you read about this stuff? Yeah, go on. Very briefly, his clubs. I love his clubs. He played for Chelsea, Tottenham, QPR and Crystal Palace because he loves to travel. <laughs> he loves to see the world. <laughs> There's a man with a wanderlust. You wouldn't have to move house. No. So as a player, he, the other ways he made money, he opened a West End tailor. I think I'd have a problem with that if I was managing someone who was also running a tailor. I think, come on, mate, a bit more dedication to the job, surely. He also invented something called the thingummy wig. Have you heard of this? No. So he invented a hat with artificial hair mounted inside. (laughs) (laughs) My dad had one of those in the 90s, you know, like the baseball cap with the mullet attached. Yeah. So the reason was, there's an interview, he talks about the fact that when women go out and they're going out in the evening, they liked to do up their hair, but not have it ruined during the day being out and about. So the idea is you put your hair in curlers, you put this hat on and then have the fake hair dropping down. You could go about your day and then come the evening, you take your hat off and you'd be ready for the theatre or whatever. And that was the, the thingummy wig. It <laughs> was generally invented by Terry Venables <laughs> while he was a player. <laughs> that is a comically shit idea, isn't it? And the other one was, you know about his novels? Yes. Yeah. I've got one line about it. Tell me more. He co-authored three novels about a Cockney detective called Harry Hazel, 
who introduced himself in his 1974 debut as the biggest bastard who'd ever pushed your bell button. <laughs> and this is my favourite thing about it. As a writer, I love this. This is such a useful tip here from Terry Venables. Speaking about his writing success, Venables said in 2009, it wasn't working at first, so I just put a detective in it. <laughs> Which I think is such a useful thing to know as a writer. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> For any aspiring authors out there, if your book's not working, just shove a detective in it. But they're detective novels. So what yeah. was it before the detective was in it? <laughs> it was just a crime with no one solving it, I guess. <laughs> just a dead body. <laughs> 300 pages about a dead body. All these people just gathered around. Yeah, going, I don't know. What, anyone know what we do here? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many leads, but nobody to work on them. Oh, no. Why isn't this working? A guy holding a smoking gun going, well, I think I'm all right here. <laughs> I actually own those books in the early days. Quickly, Kevin, once we were in the kind of the white heat of the Steve Bruce, Steve Barnes era, I came across that. So I ordered them thinking, oh, here is the next stage. Here's some more gold. And I started reading the first one, and it's it's annoyingly fine. Like it's yeah. a very competently written book. There's no fun to be had because the guy who kind of, I say co-wrote, he definitely wrote it and Venables attached a name to it. He's okay. a well-established, he wrote uh, like Straw Dogs and some other sort of highly regarded books. So there's no fun to be had. You can see that Venables did have an influence because the detective wears a hat with hair stuck inside <laughs> it, doesn't it? That's the good one. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Venables touch. But yeah. Also, it became an ITV series. It did two series on ITV. Oh, I didn't ah. know that. There you go. Do you know what I often thought about? Something to follow on the Steve Bruce books would be, what if we commissioned a 90s footballer to write a detective story? And who would you go for? Who would be good at it? I've got an answer straight away. It's set on the Channel Islands. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Say no more. Say no more. only one man for the job. <laughs> It's Steve Guppy. <laughs> oh, no, no, so it's not Steve Guppy. Sorry, I was thinking. It's a Steve surviving Guppy. member yeah. of the BGs. Weirdly, Michael, I was thinking exactly the same person, but my logic was going to be you need someone who's a bit of a thinker. <laughs> he was always way ahead of everyone else on the pitch, Letitia, obviously. That is where I was going as well. Although his views are a bit problematic, aren't they? <laughs> How about this, then? It's co written by two 90s footballers, still set on the same location. Okay. They base two partner <laughs> detectives solving crimes on the islands on their own personalities and interests. So you've got... So they're a crime-fighting team, you're saying, yeah? They're a crime-fighting team. It's Detective Latiz and Detective Lasso. Yeah. They share oh. opposing views ideologically and politically, and the way they get the job done is also very differently. But together, <laughs> they're unstoppable. <laughs> There you go, the Terry Venable special. We've heard a little bit there. If you want to get even more of that episode, don't forget you can become a Quickly Kevin fan club member. You can sign up at anotherslice.com forward slash Quickly Kevin and on your Apple Podcast app. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with another special and it will be Dean Saunders with Ellis James. Ellis, Ellis's hero. Ellis explains in the episode he had a poster of Dean Saunders on his wall and you'll hear a little preview of that on Monday. All right. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, get your tickets to Quickly Kevin at the London Palladium. It's going to be a special one. Until next time, Robbie Slater, see you later. Listener.